Amen. Well, Shabbat Shalom, everyone. Glad to be in the house of Adonai with you today. I'd like to say our baraka and get right to our, our study of, uh, of the points re- relevant to Devarim and how we open we opened a new Sefer of Torah this week, Baruch Hashem. So isn't that amazing? Blessed are you, Adonai, God's King of the universe, who has sanctified us with his commandments and commanded us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Please, Adonai, our God, sweeten the words of your Torah in our mouth and the mouth of your people, the house of Israel. And may we and our offspring and our offspring's offspring and the offspring of your people, the house of Israel, all of us know your name and study your Torah for its own sake. Blessed are you, Adonai, who teaches Torah to his people, Israel. Amen. Well, this is Parashat Devarim, as we've said. It is uh, also today is the ninth of Av. And so tomorrow uh, we will be... We will be um, remembering or, or observing, I should say, the uh, ninth of the ninth of Av. We move it to Yom Rishon if it ever falls on a Shabbat, because we we never fast on Shabbat unless it is Yom Kippur. So tonight we will have a Ma'ariv service with the reading of the Book of Lamentations, um, and then tomorrow we'll be sell- we will be uh, observing this festival. It's actually a festival. The Book of Lamentations calls Tisha B'Av a festival, a Moed. Um, so if somebody's wondering about the festivals of the Lord, we have to include Tisha B'Av in that as well. This, this day, this particular Shabbat, is also called uh, the Shabbat Hazon, the, the, the Sabbath of vision. And it gets its name from the Haftarah, because in the Hebrew of the, of the, Torah, the Haftarah portion from Isaiah 1.1, which Isaiah 1 has always been a passage of Scripture that has spoken to me personally. Um, that I've always, uh, that's just, it's just one of, one of a, uh, maybe a couple of handfuls of scriptures that I just frequently go back to because it's so powerful, the, the message that Hashem is sending us. But so it's parasha hazon, which means vision. And so it's this parasha uh, that, uh, that Moshe is, is standing, as it were, on the, on the proverbial banks of the Jordan. The whole nation, this is the, the renewed nation now. I want you to see the spirit of renewal. The old is gone, the new has come. Okay? There's been a resurrection. So you've got to see the spiritual picture because so God is a God of patterns. So you've got to fi- follow the pattern. What happened if you, if you listen to my, my tuba of uh, Shur that I did a, few, a couple weeks ago? Uh, if you haven't seen that yet, I need to see you after. But uh, I'm not just kidding. I don't really see that. Uh, but anyway, I'm just kidding. But that, I said in that Shur that at the final Tisha B'Av, every year at Tisha B'Av, everybody would go out and dig their grave, who was of the age of accountability, so to speak, what God said, 20 and up, that you're men for war. They would go dig their grave, and everybody would lay down in the grave. And in the morning, those who were still alive would come out of the grave, and those who weren't would not. And then they would be buried, and all the other graves would be filled in. But on the final Tuba'av, or Tisha B'Av, rather, on the final Tisha B'Av, the, the, the same thing happened. Everybody dug their graves. Everybody laid down the graves. But the next morning, everybody got up. And they realized after a period of a few days that, that, the, that the time period had passed and, and the curse that was on the generation had, had passed. And so everyone who got up out of the grave was able to go into the promised land. You see that? So there was a resurrection of the nation and was able to go into the promised land. So Moshe gets everybody uh, in, in Devarim, he gets everybody together to give this some 40-day or so um, drosh. Y'all thought my droshes were long. <laughs> and he's admonishing them in a very polite and dignified way to not make the same mistake that the former generation did. So now that you've been resurrected to newness of life, walk in the light of that life. Y'all see the spiritual picture here? That because we have been buried with him and raised with him, now we have to walk with him. We have to follow the ark across the Jordan, which is exactly what they did. And so I want to paint a vision for you because this is what Devarim is all about. It's, it's a, it's, Devarim is a book that, look, that looks back at our past 
and reconciles with that past for the explicit purpose, and I should say dealing with the failure of the past, for the explicit purpose of being able to move forward into our future. And so um, this has been the three weeks, and it's been, this has been one of the most difficult three weeks that we've had in a while. There has been excessive heat, makes it hard, no rain, right? We haven't had any rain. There are people, I've, I've just, there's people that have gone through uh, family struggles, challenges, a lot of some changes that have taken place in people's lives. And so just kind of uh, uh, going around, um, I mean, even at our house, we've got, you know, our, our little dogs are dealing with like, it seems like every time we go home, somebody's got a little abscess tooth. It's like, oh my gosh. You know, all this stuff is going on, right? And so just other things like that, that's on a small level, but on, a, on, a, on bigger levels, there's things going on. People are struggling, and, 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 and uh, then we have these different tragedies. So we shouldn't be surprised that all this type of thing happens during the three weeks because this is a period of spiritual darkness, even though it happens to be the period where there's the most light in the day, but yet there's the most spiritual darkness, and the Yetzer Hara is pounding on people, and, uh, you know, he... He, he, he deals with us at our, on our, at our weaknesses, and then, you know, he, he's playing us because those weaknesses affect other people, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But here's the vision I want to paint, and I'm not just saying this. I want you to know that this comes from the very, uh, from the very, the very uh, depth of my soul that Hashem is speaking to us. And I, I heard this so clearly this week as we were and the nine days and so much more intense mourning and so on, that the, the days ahead of us after Tisha B'Av, going into the 40 days of Teshuvah and into the High Holy Days, the fall festivals, are going to be days of immense joy and blessing. Amen. We're going to see a complete shift, a complete turnaround. I don't often give prophetic words or where you, I don't know if this is a prophetic word per se, but I just sense that we are going into a time of immense blessing, immense joy. And all of this stuff that has happened to people, all these trials, the heat, the no rain, the, the, the struggles and trials that I've heard that people have gone through um, and things that don't make sense and all that kind of stuff, all of that is Hashem testing, pruning, growing, pushing challenging, growing, teaching people, us, all of us together. And we are going to see, I'm I'm just, I believe that by the time Tuba'av rolls around, we're going to see such an amazing transition that we're going to be thinking, wow, this is what this is all about. Because as you know, coming out of the turmoils of the storm, that's when the waters are calm and everything is beautiful and the air is nice and sweet. And that's exactly what, what Devarim is all about. It's, it's looking at this. You've seen, you've been through the storm. You've been through the tr- challenge. You've been through the test. You've been, uh, we're going to go through the list of everything that happened. And the whole purpose of going through the list, the whole purpose of reconciling with our past failures and our faults, the whole purpose is not to dwell on those past failures and faults, but the whole purpose is to make sure that going forward, we're walking in the newness of life. Because we're all resurrected right now. We've all laid down in the grave. And if you haven't yet laid down in the grave, I want to encourage you to do that. Because you can't be resurrected unless you lay down. We've all laid in the grave and we're all resurrected now. We've got to walk in that light of resurrection power. You know, Yeshua, we just read the words of the Mashiach. And he's telling us here that that the nations are going to hate us. Everybody's going to hate us. You know, that, that, and, and we ought to uh, understand that reality. Uh, there was, not that we want to be hated, nobody wants to be hated, nobody wants to be rejected. And we shouldn't be walking around, by the way, we should not be walking around with a, with a chip on our shoulder, waiting and, and, and just daring somebody to even look anti-Semitic towards us, right? Wow. Don't go through the checkout line and look at the person who's just ringing your grocery, say, it's a tackle. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I know you're going to. You want to know, didn't you? Mm-hmm. Right? Right? Don't walk, through the, don't, don't walk through the grocery store swinging your seat seat, daring somebody to say something about it. Wow. Don't do that. Just be normal. Okay? Be normal. 
And, and when, when those unfortunate realities happen, uh, just understand that Yeshua already warned us. You know, we come back from the grocery store. I use this example all the time. We come back from the kosher market dejected because somebody who was buying kosher chicken from the synagogue down the street asked us where we dove and we told them and they gave us a frowny face. And we walk out of the, we walk out of the uh, store uh, ready, uh, contemplating uh, throwing Yeshua under the bus because of that. Now, you say, some of you are like, no, we wouldn't do that. Yes, people, yes. <laughs> they'd rather have a happy face than a frowny face, and so they're thinking, well, maybe I could, if I jettison Yeshua, they'll love me. You know, we thought that about the Germans, too. We thought if we got rid of Torah, they'd love us, and instead they put us in the death camps. That's where Reformed Judaism started. Many of the people who were in the death camps were eating pork chops and shrimp and weren't keeping any Torah at all. Some of them didn't even know they were Jewish until the Nazis told them. So, see, getting rid of the covenant doesn't help. And see, we walk out of the grocery store and Yeshua meets us in the parking lot and says, I told you. They're going to hate you for my name's sake. Right? That's the whole point. So I'm not saying that we should go around with a chip on our shoulder. I'm just simply saying we should go around and just be, be comfortable in our own skin. We should be comfortable with, with who we are. But notice he says... Um, he said, many false prophets. He says earlier here that uh, um, in verse 2, or verse 4, excuse me. Yeshua said, beware so that no one may mislead you, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Mashiach. And they'll be, they will mislead many. Now, there have been a few, several in fact, um, Jewish men who've arisen in history and have proclaimed themselves to be the Messiah. Bar Kokhba was one of the first after this. And uh, Gamliel uh, says there were some others he, that we, we don't necessarily hear about in history. And then there was Shebatai Zavi, and there's others, there's even sects today that, that uh, they worship, don't, 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 let's not mince words, they worship their passed away Rebbe's. Okay? And they, they would even say, it's the blood of my Rebbe. That's what they would say. That Matt shared earlier, they would say it's the blood of my Rebbe. They would say that. Um, but, see, the point I want to make here is that Jews are not going to be led astray by a non-Jewish Messiah. Just not going to happen. So we don't have to worry about, um, you know, that happening. But we do have to be careful about a Jewish Messiah because a Jew is never going to be led away by somebody who's not following Torah in a legitimate, authentic way. Not making it up for themselves and reinterpreting the Torah for themselves, but rather in a legitimate way. That's the only person that could possibly lead a Jew away. Somebody said one time, it's kind of comical. They said, well, I think the anti-Messiah is going to be uh, a Muslim or something like that. And I said, never happened. Because no one, uh, no one's going to, no, one, no Jew's going to accept that. Well, he might be from the Vatican. Never happened. No Jews, no Jews going to accept that as, as a Mashiach. You know, that surprises a lot of people because they think that all somebody has to do is do miracles, but that miracles don't impress a Jew. Miracles not coupled with Torah don't impress Jews. The miracle has to be coupled with Torah, right? If you raise the dead and tell me to eat a pork chop, you're an anti-Messiah. I'm just saying, right? Because that's the litmus test. If you say you're led by the Spirit, it needs to be the Spirit of Torah. I led by the Spirit, so therefore I don't worship on the Shabbat. Well, see, there's a problem with that because the Mashiach said... The Mashiach said right here, pray that this doesn't happen on the Sabbath. If the Sabbath is null and void, why'd he care? No, he said it. it's in the red. That's how I know it's his words. No, I'm just kidding. My mind doesn't have red. I'm just making that up. But pray that your fleeing will not be in the winter or on Shabbat. If the Mashiach's goal was to nullify the Sabbath... Then he made Hasve Shalom a mistake in his lesson. Because he, he forgot Hasve Shalom, that all his followers weren't be keeping the Sabbath, so they wouldn't care. They wouldn't care about it, right? Am I right, Yeshai? Say I'm right. Okay. No, it's true, though. Now, in verse 14, in this chapter, I'm, I'm in chapter 24, by the way, book of Matthew. In verse 14, this is not, I wasn't planning to talk about this, so this is all extra. <laughs> My wife said, I can tell. Stop. <laughs> How would you know? 
Um, in verse 14, he said, this good news, this good news of the kingdom will be proclaimed in all the earth as testimony to all the nations, and afterward, the end will come. The gospel, as it is traditionally understood, has been preached to every corner of this world. Now, somebody might say to me, well, how do you know that there's not some uh, native tribe somewhere in the back, uh, you know, a tropical forest somewhere? Is there a tropical forest? Is that such a thing? I don't know, but how do you know there hasn't somebody that has heard, not heard? And that's not Jewish thinking. When Judaism says all Israel, it doesn't literally mean like every single Jew. It just means kol, as in the vast majority of. So uh, when he says go preach to all the corners of the world, he's not literally mean like every single corner you got to go to, right? But the fact of the matter is, is that this, 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 uh, the gospel, as it's traditionally understood, uh, is everywhere, right? And actually, some countries have a church literally on every street corner, and they have the highest murder rate. Yeah. Highest crime rates, the most dangerous countries to go to. Somebody look those up. Um, but Mashiach said this good news. And, and, the, and the challenge is, and I, I'm just going to say this, I don't, I'm just as a matter of conversation, the good news that's out there is not this good news. Because this good news is, is, a Jewish, is the Jewish good news. I'm just, I mean, I'm just throwing it out there. It's not, it's not the same, right? It doesn't mean that people don't love God. It doesn't mean that, they're, that they, they just don't know what they don't know. It doesn't mean that they're evil. It doesn't mean that they're out conspiracy theory, you know, out there walking around trying to lead people purposely astray. It just means that it's not the same. And so this is the great thing that we have got going on is that we have the opportunity to, to share with people this, this good news. But there's a caveat to that. We, can't, we cannot share this good news if we're still stuck in an Egyptian mindset. So Devarim is, is to us. Devarim is to us to say, listen, you're, you've been resurrected to the newness of life. You're following the ark. You're headed for the Jordan. And your mission is, as you're walking towards the Jordan, following the ark, is to gather as many holy sparks as possible to share them with, with them the good news. But you can't do that if you are not showing hesed. You can't do that if you're backbiting against each other. You can't do that if you are, you can't build the temple if you're destroying it. Right? Right? So the, the topic today is about how to, be, how, how to make this connection in which we, uh, we, we become people who can proclaim this good news in the proper fashion. And so Devarim is directly connected to uh, Tisha B'Av, because it's always the parasha right before we, we observe Tisha B'Av, which is the ninth of Av. And in the Torah portion and in the Haftarah, the word Eka is used, which is also the same word for the book of Lamentations, Eka, which means how. And it has with it the connotation of how can this happen? How can this happen? And this is, this is how we uh, normally when we are when we're talking to someone uh, who has done something shocking, like a, a child, uh, not a child, but a, a teenager maybe who had an auto accident in our, in our car, you know, that, that they borrowed. Our first words out of our mouth 99.9% .9 of the time is, Eka! Like, how did this happen, right? You look at your bank statement, there's a, a charge on there, Eka! You know, how did this happen? That type of thing. So Hashem is speaking to us at this time and saying, how could it be that this has happened to you? How could this be that you have allowed this mentality to happen? And so we find it in the Haftarah portion of Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 21. It says, how has she become a harlot? Talking about Jerusalem. Uh, that word in Hebrew is Eka. And then in the book of Devarim, chapter 1 and verse 12, Moshe says, How can I alone carry 
your contentiousness. The word there is acha. How could this happen? That coming out of Egypt, coming out, being redeemed, watching Hashem wash your enemies ashore and drown all the horses and all the chariots, how could it be that you could experience all that? How could it be that you saw God, that the lowliest maidservant saw God, we pointed at him, and we danced around and said, this is our God who saved us, and we will worship him. How could it be that we experience all that, and yet it has been nothing but a contentious train wreck all the way to this point. And the whole reason we didn't go into the promised land to begin with is because we were fighting against each other. Whereas God was armed for battle and he was willing to go do battle for us. And yet we were not willing to walk across. So the book of Lamentations I mentioned, the Hebrew word for Lamentations, the Hebrew word for that book, I should say, is Acha. How could it be? Written by Jeremiah. How could it come to pass? That, that we could have Solomon's temple. We could have all that Kedusha. We could have this priesthood. We could have all these wonderful things going on. The glory of God in the temple. I mean, come on. When, he, when so Solomon dedicated the temple, the Ruach HaKodesh fell and, and everybody went flat on their face. It was amazing. How could all that be going on? And yet, now we're looking at a destroyed temple and we're being led off into slavery. Eka, how could this happen? And so it's a question for us. In Tanaeet 30b, that is in the Talmud, there's a, it talks about a requirement to mourn for Tishabab. It says, And the sages say, Whoever performs labor on the ninth of Av and does not mourn for Jerusalem will not see her future joy, as it is stated. Rejoice with Jerusalem and be glad with her. All, with her. all who love her rejoice for joy with her, all who mourn for her. Isaiah 66.10 from here it is stated, whoever mourns for Jerusalem will merit and see her future joy, and whoever does not mourn for Jerusalem will not see her future joy. This is also taught in Ebratia, that is an illegal work. Whoever eats meat or drinks wine in the meal before the ninth of Av, about him the verse states, and whose iniquities are upon his bones, because the terror of the mighty was in the land of the living. Ezekiel thirty-two twenty-seven. So we have here an obligation, as it were, um, to mourn the, the destruction of the temple and to yearn for its rebuilding and to remember fallen Jerusalem. The, um, there's a paper here, I haven't had a chance to read it all, that Zakin Yochanan uh, gave me from another um, a lesson on this topic. And so I'd, I'd read um, the first page here, and it talks about this word, Acha. It says that... Um, this word, the same spelling of this word pronounced differently, was used when God um, was in the, in the garden trying to figure out what happened to Adam and Eve. Of course, Rabbi Trugman talks about this as well, brings out this similar point. But it says here, um, one of these words means the way that it's used in the Garden of Eden is, is, is where are you? The other, as it's used here, means how could it be? So they're spelled the same, though. The sages here, they seem to be putting their finger on a fundamental truth about each. They are both really words of lament. Jeremiah, he laments the loneliness of Jerusalem by saying, how could it be? But can't you hear almost the same lament in God's plaintive, plaintive question towards Adam and Eve? Ayeka, where are you? And as I was looking at this... Uh, those two words are similar in the sense that when we talk about how can this be, we also find God saying, and where are you? So we have a two-part question here. How could this have happened, and where are you now? <laughs> well, that's really powerful. How could this happen, and where are you now so that we can fix it moving forward? See, that's the point. How could this, the accidents happen? How could this happen? And where are you right now so we can begin to make rectification of this? And so as we are coming into this destruction of the temple, uh, this remembrance of this time, and not just remembrance, but a yearning for the third temple. Because remember, that the, the third temple means the, the advent. It means the return of the Mashiach. But what we need to be asking ourselves is, how could this happen? And where am I? 
Where am I right now? Where am I in relationship to the building of the temple? Am I ready for the building of the temple? You know, all of us, as I've said many times, all of us could do better in our, in our Avodah Hashem, our service to Hashem. All of us could do better. All of us could do better in our Avodah Halev, of the, the service of the heart, which is prayer. All of us could do better. But I want to encourage us to do better. I want to encourage us to be uh, more, more focused. And, and let me say this. I didn't say to be more stringent or be more focused on somebody else's life. Right? I didn't say walk around the shul and say, you know, how, how often are you praying? You should do more. I'm talking about yours, us. Us. Right? Us. So we should be looking at ourselves and saying, how can we step it up? Because the question becomes, we're longing and yearning for Mashiach, but we have to ask ourselves, where are we? Are we ready for the Mashiach to come? And you can say, well, I, I feel like I'm, you know, I have Amuna and, you know, and my, I'm going to stand before the court and I, I think I'm going to be okay. Look, I can tell you right now, no one is, no one's rushing in. It's always, it's, when we get there, it's going to be like, oh no, you go ahead. <laughs> no, go ahead, really. It's going to be, no, really. No, I want you to have the blessing first. Please go. <laughs> you know, are all going to be like that, right? No one's going to be like, I've got this. You know, you see uh, Hashem and the heavenly courts, Memtet and everything up there. I got this. They're all on fire because they're flames of fire. And we're like, I got you. I'm good. I'm good. And if they're flames of fire and you're not, don't go in yet. (laughs) So, but on another level, forget that part. Forget that part. Have, Have we really, have we really been accomplishing the mission that Hashem has given us. Think about all the opportunity we have. And so, you know, I'm not trying to be, like, I, I really, I'm just speaking. I'm just talking, talking about myself, talking about all of us. What's the cause? What was the cause, I should say, of the first temple destruction? The Talmud tells us that the first temple destruction, it says in Yoma 9b, why was the first temple destroyed? Because during its period, there were three cardinal sins. There was idolatry, immorality, and bloodshed. And in the in the, in the Darim 81a, it says, The question why the first temple was destroyed was asked of the sages and the prophets and the ministering angels, and they could not explain it until the Holy One, blessed be He, explained it, because they did not make a blessing before studying the Torah. Now, I admit that if, if someone were to read that, you would go, wait, what? The temple was destroyed because we didn't make a bracha before studying the Torah. And the sages explain that studying Torah without the blessing leads someone to study Torah for an improper motive. We should be studying the Torah for the Torah's sake. Not ostentatiously so that we can be seen or because it's some type of requirement or any other purpose other than I'm studying this. And by the way, in Judaism, study without implementation is a, doesn't exist or it shouldn't exist. And so we should be studying and, and applying this to our life. And the fact of the matter is that this blessing of the, of the Torah highlights the source of the Torah, which is Hashem, and identifies it as, it as His will for our life. So just think about this. We, we say the bracha every week on, uh, on Sabbath, and then every day I say the bracha, I know many people do, before I can begin my study of the Torah, and in those, in those words, it identifies that this is God's will for my life. So therefore, every single day, Bezrat Hashem, you know, I don't miss a day, but whatever, that every single day Hashem is articulating to me very clearly, Mordecai, this is my will for your life. You don't need a book written about it. You just need the book. And so when you study this, it brings the proper motive that when I am keeping the Torah, I am following God's will. Therefore, it removes 
every type of evil intention. And the problem was is that people were studying the Torah back then, but they weren't saying the blessing. They were just doing it for all kinds of reasons. Maybe they wanted to look smart. They wanted to be able to share an insight, whatever the case is. They wanted to sit at the head table. They look, look at them. They're the big Torah scholars. Whatever the case may be, they weren't really saying the bracha because to them it really wasn't the will of God. It was just something we do. And so the second temple. We have the first temple. No, the second temple now. Why was the second temple destroyed? And so it tells us in Yoma 9b also, the Gemara returns to Rabbi Yochanan and says, but the second temple, we know that the people occupied themselves with Torah, mitzvot, and act of kindness. So now we know in the second temple, we learned the lesson of the first temple. Then now we're actually t studying the Torah for its own sake. We're trying to do acts of loving kindness. We're trying to fulfill the mitzvot. We're even going above and beyond which is what Mashiach meant when he told the Pharisees they even tithe uh, a tenth of their mint and cumin. We're not required to tithe of our spices, but they, they had gone above and beyond. Nothing wrong with going above and beyond unless you're missing the basic component, which is hesed, right? You know, Hashem said, proclaim my name among them. I was going to say earlier, if we lose, because uh, uh, Ahmet said, Sometimes, you know, it's natural, it's normal. We lose kavanah. We lose intent when we're praying. You know, it's the human mind. We get to thinking about something, whatever. Uh, while we're praying, the phone rings, and now we're distracted for a second. There's several ways to get back your kavanah. Look up to heaven, focus. If you look at any prayer book, you, it has Ryodke Vavke in it. You can look at the name and just contemplate. But here at Shul, we have a blessing. We have this parochit. This beautiful parochet, which symbolizes the garment of Mashiach, or excuse me, the garment of Hashem, which is Mashiach, and the light. I can't get into this, I don't have enough time, but from the light of God's garment, everything was made. And the garment is Mashiach, who is the Torah. But here, in our, our particular parochet, we have a blessing here. It's in the uh, new passport, the translation. It says it's given the man to order his thoughts, but it's the gift of God who gives the, the power to the heart to speak. But here in this we have the Yudke Vavke. So we can look at the parochit. We can focus on this, if you can see it when you're davening, and, and bring, bring Kavanah. But when it says, proclaim my name among them, the name is, is, is the proclamation that God made to Moshe when he said, I want to see your glory. And the first, the, it begins by Yudke Vavke, Yudke Vavke. But what that means, his name means mercy. So when it says, proclaim my name among them, it's not literally speaking of this, but it's saying, proclaim my mercy among them. My essence, in other words. Who am I to them? My mercy to them. So we've got, we've got the, the Torah, the mitzvah, and the acts of kindness, but we're not, now we've, we've lost the component, though. And it says that they were doing all this, but so why it was destroyed? Because of the, the gratuitous hatred or the baseless hatred that existed there. This teaches you that gratuitous or baseless hatred is tantamount to the three cardinal sins of idolatry, immorality, and bloodshed put together. So we know... We know what the uh, problems are. We know why the temples were destroyed. We know what prevented us from going into the promised land initially. So the question now becomes, what's the remedy? Eka, Ayeka. Eka, how could this be? Now we found out. Ayeka, where are you now? Where are we on the map to correction? And so the remedy for baseless hatred is, to coin a phrase I heard from Amet, Baseless love. Amen. If we have baseless hatred, then we need to develop a, a kedusha within ourselves of baseless love, which is unconditional love. Yeshua, if we look at the book of Matthew, let's look at the book of Matthew, chapter 18. The book of Matthew, chapter 18. Knowing this fact that there is all kinds of animosity going on, and you can imagine the disciples. 
especially somebody like Kepha. I mean, just put this in perspective. Kepha's been with Mashiach now, I don't know what, at this point in chapter 18, how many years it's been, but he's been with Mashiach a few years. He's seen people come and go. He's seen people come and they're all on fire and excited and then something doesn't go their way and they're out. And you got to know, you got to understand Kepha's frustration. Somebody like Kepha. I'm sure the other uh, disciples were frustrated too. And so I wonder if that's where this question uh, becomes born. So in verse 21, Kepha approached him and said to him, Master, if my brother sins against me, how many times should I pardon him? Up to seven times. So Kepha's just wondering, how many times is enough? Seven? And don't, don't get mad at Kepha. We've always asked. We've asked that question. Sometimes our question is one time. That's how many of us would say one time. Some of us say half a time. Right? And so Yeshua says to him, I will not say to you up to seven times, but up to 77 times. In other words, that's like saying without end. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king of flesh and blood who was going down to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, a man was brought before him who was indebted to him for 10,000 kikarim of silver. He did not have any way to repay him, so his master commanded to sell him, his wife, and his children, and all that he has, that he could repay it. He's going to sell them all into slavery. The servant fell on his face, bowed down to him, and said, Master, be slow to anger with me, and I will repay everything to you. The master of that servant was moved with compassion, hesed, mercy. So he released him and pardoned him of his debt. The servant went out before him and found one of his associates. Who was indebted to him 100 denarim? That's a much, much less figure. He grabbed him and choked him, saying, Pay me what you owe me. And his associate fell on his feet and requested him, saying, Be slow to anger with me, that I may repay you. But he refused, and he went and left him in prison until he would repay his, him his debt. The servants who were his associates saw what was done and were very upset. So they came and told their master all that had been done. See, this correlates with, with the Hafez Haim teaches that, that the Yetzirah will set you up to not show someone kindness and give you all the reasons in the book why you shouldn't. Make your case strong. And then when you don't show kindness then he'll go back to the heavenly court and prosecute you for not showing that kindness. And then the heavenly court will convict you, and then he'll send the Yetzirah, who's also the angel of death, to go carry out the sentence on your life. And so it continues. It says, the master called him in and said, you worthless servant. That is not what we want to hear, right? You worthless servant, I pardon you your whole debt in response to your request for me. Was it not incumbent? Say incumbent. incumbent. It's incumbent upon us to show compassion to your associates when I have compassion on you. His master became angry and gave him over to the torturers until he paid his whole debt. My father who is in heaven will do the same to you if you, if you do not pardon wholeheartedly other people for their sins against you. So it says in the footnotes to the Talmud on this passage of, of uh, Yoma, it says, it is written that a single congregation, a single congregation, let me say that again, a single congregation, not, not a thousand seat or 2,000 seat mega congregation, not a bunch of congregations, but a single congregation which is meticulous in maintaining peace amongst itself can merit bringing the Messiah. Come on, we just took it to a whole new level. We just took it to a whole new level. It's not about, see, come on. It's not about just making everybody happy. I don't want all the stress. I'm trying to be a good person. It's about bringing Mashiach down. And so if we can get that into our souls, what we have to see, because sometimes just being good is not always a great motivator, but we can think beyond ourselves and say, you know what? My actions have a, have a propensity to bring Mashiach. One congregation that is meticulous in maintaining peace amongst itself 
can bring the Messiah. See, this is so powerful because you realize what Hashem is showing us in this is that he has, of course, we know this to be true, but it, it, it bears uh, you know, reflection right now. He can use this synagogue to bring about the transformation of the universe. I didn't say world, I said universe. See, when Mashiach comes, the universe transforms. He can use you and 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 us to bring a transformation of the universe. We don't need to be some big, ginormous place and all this kind of stuff, right? All we need is to be meticulous with Hesed. All we need is to have Hashem help us to bring down baseless love. And if we can do that, we can transform the universe. Talk about dreaming big. It is well known that true peace is impossible without zealousness in avoiding, in avoiding sinas chinam, that is baseless hatred, and lashan hara. Every person who will strive to correct these sins will have a share in the building of the third temple. For without such people, the temple would remain destroyed forever, heaven forbid. Come on, can you imagine that? Can you imagine putting on the holy tool belt, which has nothing in it because all you need is God, to go build the temple? <laughs> can you believe that? I want to be on that construction team. But you have, in order to do that, you got to be somebody who works. And I'm going to tell you something. Working on base, or I should say baseless love and, and guarding the tongue takes meticulous work. You have to train for it. You have to train for it. It's not something you just pray one time and, you know, you get it. It's a daily training. It's a daily training. And so it says here, Rabbi Yehitziel uh, of Kozmir said, the temple was destroyed because of unwarranted hatred. It will be rebuilt because of unwarranted love. That's also in the footnotes. In the Art Scroll Tishba'av book on page 35, it says, Where there is Torah, there is unity and brotherhood. So the Rambel brought down that where there is no unity and brotherhood, there is no Torah. So we can fool ourselves all day long and think that we're Torah observant, we're wrapping to feeling and doing all that kind of stuff, but we don't, if, we, if we don't have, I'm not saying we don't, but if we don't have unity and love amongst us, then all that is stuff is vanity. That's just vanity. That's just show. Right? We go buy the Cheerios box with a hexure on it. But if you're talking LaShawn Harrah when you're picking that off, you might as well go buy a pork chop. What's the difference? I'm not kidding you. If you're talking about, well, she said, I said, I couldn't believe they did. Da da da. Can you believe that? Whatever. You know, if you in back by hating, causing disruption. If you're doing that, buying the kosher item, you might as well just set it back. It's all vanity. It's all vanity. And so we just have to understand these concepts. Rabbi Eliezer said in the name of Rabbi Hanina, Torah scholars increase peace in the world, as it says, and all of your children will be students of Hashem, and your children will have abundant shalom, Isaiah 54, 13. Do not read Benneka, your children, but Bonet, Bonach, your builders. There is abundant peace for the lovers of your Torah, and there is no stumbling block for them. In other words, if we are following the Torah with baseless love, then we become builders. But if we have the Torah, but we have Lashonara, or we have hatred and judgment and so on amongst us, then all we are is destroyers. Wow. So we're either tearing down or, or, or lifting up. All right, I got to hurry up. I, I'm got a little. Late start here. Step one. Step one. We got to break up our fallow ground. That's what tonight and tomorrow is all about. I'm, I'm going to tell you something right now. Many of us have been davening and, and, and so on, but the, the, the crucible is tomorrow. And I'm not talking about the fasting. We have these fasting customs as, as, a, as a congregation. But friends, if you're doing all that, if you're not eating... And if you're not wearing leather shoes and you're, uh, uh, you're a husband, you're sleeping on the floor in the other room um, and all this kind of stuff, and you're a woman and you show up tomorrow and you don't have makeup on and all that kind of stuff, whereas normally you would, that type of thing, 
You know, we, us, us guys, many of us anyway, have not been taking a haircut and all the type of things, trimming our beards and so on this time. If we've been doing all that, but we haven't been making shuva, we haven't been praying, and we do it tomorrow. Now, look, see here, Eka Ayeka, where you were and where are you now? We've got, got another opportunity tomorrow. But if we come tomorrow, and we're not, we're not really, our hearts are breaking then we should have taken a haircut and we should eat tomorrow and we should drink wine this week. I don't do this because I'm trying to impress somebody. I do this because Mashiach died for me. It's about the broken tablets. And so like Moshe, I stand before us today and say, Eka, how could this be? How could it be? Where are we with the baseless love? Where are we with guarding our tongue? I'm not talking about anybody specific. I'm just talking in general because we're all guilty. James said, who can tame the tongue? What I know to be true, and this is what I'm trying to get at, is that the days ahead of us are bright and brilliant and they're going to be amazing, but it's only if we apply the principles of Acha today. It's only if we get a hold of this and we become a congregation that is full of baseless love, that is, guards our tongue, and the minute we say something that we know is not right, we ask for Hashem to forgive us. And we break up the fallow ground. Step two, I should just go through the steps right quick. Step two is we've got to return to the foundation stone. We've got to go back to the place of sacrifice. We've got to go back to the garden. We've got to go back to where our, our love began. And we've got to lay down. You know, every now and then we've got to go back to the, to the altar and lay back down again. Yeah, this is where it all started. Yeah. It was when I got up from here that I started to follow Hashem. We've got to go back and lay down again. Yeah. Lots happened since I left this place. You know, that's Jacob. He went there and then he went to find and all that stuff happened with Laban and all that stuff happened with his wives and he comes back with all these kids and he sends them ahead. And what does he do? He goes back and lays down in that spot again. Yeah. Yeah. There's that stone. Yeah. Because God knew that his best days were ahead. Aika, Aika. We've got to tear up the fallow ground. It says in the book of Isaiah, tear up the fallow ground and pull up the thorns. And the sages say, what are the thorns? And the thorns are bad character traits. I'm going to close with this. Hashem has brought us a long way. We have an amazing congregation, amazing people. We have as many or more people that watch across the world every week as sit in this room. People we don't even know about yet. We have so many sources, it's ridiculous. Our libraries are envied. It's amazing. So many insights that Hashem has given us. So many dots that have been connected. I would dare say that there's no one there's no group of people that believe in the Mashiach in the world today that the majority of their men wrap to feed them in the morning and that their women light candles as so many of our women do on Friday night in Davin. I, I dare to say that this has never been seen in 2,000 years. Insights that we have and why God chose us, I have no idea. I just hope I don't mess it up. But I can tell you that all those books and all those tefillins and all those candles is worthless dross if we don't get the message of Acha and Iacha. If we don't understand baseless love, 
if we don't understand that we need to be builders of the third temple and not destroyers of it. So I just want to encourage us to take this word to heart and let us be people like Abraham and Sarah that throw open the doors of our tent and welcome people with open arms. And guess what? I'm just one more thing. Guess what? We're a hospital. Guess what? We're an ER. Guess what? We're surgeons. Our hands are going to get bloody. We're going to be, have people come in who are sick. We're going to have people come in who are a mess. We're going to have people who come in who are confused, lost, hurting. We need to look at those people and not be shocked. Of course they're here. Was this, that's, I didn't call. I didn't, Mashiach said, I didn't come to call the sick. The sick don't need a physician. I mean, I didn't call the, call, come to call the healed. The healed don't need a physician. I come to call the sick. That's why I'm surrounded by sinners. And that's why when people come in our shul and they look a mess and they don't know what they're doing and they, you know, we used to be grace, 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 mercy, mercy, mercy. doesn't mean that we don't hold to our principles and hold to our standards, but we do it with love. We do it with compassion. We do it with understanding. It doesn't mean that it's okay for somebody to bring bacon to the oneg. That's not what I'm saying. We're not going to eat it. But I'm saying is that we need to love that person and understand that, hey, they don't know what they don't know. They're a patient and we're the physician. So God is saying to us, physician, heal thyself because I've got people on the way. Thank you, Hashem. Father, maybe your will that you help us to be a congregation of baseless love. In Yeshua's name, amen.